Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So this morning we're jumping back into the book of Acts, which feels maybe a little jarring after five weeks um, of Dave preaching on um, an excellent series called Reclaim the Rainbow. And if you missed any of those, then please watch, listen, um, sit in that teaching. It was really, really good. But we're jumping back into the book of Acts. So I'm going to, I'll start off, I'll refresh us a little bit, sort of catch us up with the story. Um, And then we're going to kind of look at what the gospel is doing. Um, For once again, if if you don't know me, my name's Luke. I'm the cross-campus young adults pastor. So I work across the different campuses. So um, you might see me here sometimes. I'm often at Allgate as well. Um, I'm a a new father. We've got a three-month-old baby girl, which is... Thank you. (laughs) Um, Which is amazing and tiring, and whole new levels of faith and trust have come into our lives because of that, which, is, um, which has been amazing. Um, so forgive me if I'm a little tired. Um, a few weeks ago, or six weeks ago, Leona preached out of Acts 10. And Acts 10 is this incredible moment in the narrative and the story of the new church where the Jewish Christians, Peter specifically, is sent to the Gentiles. And I think for us today, when we hear that story and we, and we read about um, Peter going to speak to a non-Jewish person, we think, yeah, that's, that's cool, that's really interesting, um, that's great. For the Jewish Christians at the time, it was, and I'll, and I'll dig into this a bit more as we go, but, but this is an absolutely earth-shattering moment for them. It's completely flipped the script for how they see themselves, even for how they see God and his mandate for the world. It's, it's a real turning point moment. And so Leona preached about how Peter had this vision. He was praying and he had this vision and all these animals that normally a Jewish person shouldn't eat were on this, this sort of uh, this cloth and it sort of descended from heaven and he heard this voice come from heaven and it said, kill and eat. And he said, no way, surely not God. And three times this vision repeats. And then, sure enough, some Gentile people, so non-Jewish people came to him, said, our master sent you this centurion in the army. His name's Cornelius. He, he, he's had a vision of you. Come and speak to him. And Peter goes, he speaks to Cornelius. He shares the gospel. And Cornelius and his family, they receive the Holy Spirit, the same sign that the, that the disciples received at Pentecost, speaking in other languages, manifests and comes out of them, and then they're baptized. And so we pick up the story in Acts 11 where Peter's gone back to Jerusalem to the church and they are confused about what has happened and they need an explanation. Why, Peter, did you go to see the Gentiles and what happened? I'm going to invite Sam up and he's going to read for us from Acts 11. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Acts 11, 1 to 18. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, 
you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Amen. Thanks, Sam. All right. So because we don't have the screen, I'm going to give you some points and some things to form your notes with, and then we're going to, I'm going to do a, a bit of Bible today, so be ready with your thumbs or your hands to be agile. Um, so three things we're going to look at today is, one, the, the gospel breaks barriers. Number two, the gospel exceeds expectations. And number three, the gospel elicits a response. The gospel breaks barriers, the gospel exceeds expectations, and the gospel elicits a response. When I was a kid, uh, I spent the first 10 years of my life in Tasmania, and we lived on a rural property, probably 15, 20 minutes out of the, the nearest town. And it was a, we lived in this 100-year-old sort of farmhouse, um, and we lacked probably some of the, the modern amenities that, you know, people in the town would have had uh, or people in the suburbs. And, you know, one of my favourite jobs when I was a kid was getting up in the morning, helping Dad light the fire to heat up the house. And, and in Tasmanian winters, that was really important. Um, one of the other amenities, though, that we didn't have was a, a septic system. Um, everyone goes, ooh. And, um, and so sort of around the side of the house, you know, a, a healthy distance away from the house, in the garden was this trench. Um, and as a kid, I didn't really know what the trench was. I just knew that it stunk. And it was about the right length to, um, to jump over and to play around. And um, I can remember, it's, it's hazy, so I must have been young, but I, I have this memory of playing in the trench, um, which was sewage, and Dad <laughs> seeing us, myself and my siblings, playing in this trench, and the disgust that he was kind of emanating and just the absolute repulsion that he felt 
at his children playing in sewage. And if you're a parent, just imagine that picture of your, your toddlers playing in sewage. It's disgusting. That's the best sort of picture that I could come up with for the way that the Jewish Christians were viewing what Peter had just done. He has gone to the house of unclean people. This to them is, it's, it's not just gross, it's not just unclean, it's wrong. There's something wrong about what Peter's done here in their eyes. And it says in verse 2 of, of Acts 11 that the circumcised believers, so that just means the Jewish believers, the Christian, but they were culturally Jewish, they criticized him. They said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. This is a big issue for them. This is a huge issue. And I think, uh, I was trying to think of a good example from our culture about how we might feel. And, you know, we might say, well, you know, you might be a port supporter that sits in, you've decided you're going to sit in the Adelaide cheer squad. That might be a big deal. But, but really, we don't have those kind of levels of things we hold sacred in Australia that kind of can paint a good enough picture of how offensive what Peter has done here is. The acts of Act, sorry, the, the, the events of Acts 10 and 11 here, they're happening around a decade after Pentecost. So there's been about 10 years past for the, the Jewish Christian church to start to blossom and grow. And in those 10 years, they've, they've seen, you know, people added to their number. They've seen people convert. They've seen Pharisees and priests convert to Christianity, but they haven't yet gone to the Gentiles. In fact, the, the sort of the cultural understandings between the Jews and everyone else kind of meant that they didn't think to go to the Gentiles. They, it, was, it wasn't a natural response of theirs to think, well, you know, our God would be for other people. Because all through their history, they were the chosen people of God. They were God's chosen nation. They were God's royal priesthood. They were the people that had the temple, the tabernacle, the dwelling place, the presence of God in their midst. And so for them, Christianity was the fulfillment of that. Jesus, the Messiah, was the promised one, the one that brought fulfillment to that. But it didn't, to them at the time, make them think, oh, this is for everyone else. It was still very much for them. And this isn't an arrogant position saying we're better than everyone else. This is just the way they see it. And so it's challenging them. It's challenging their core beliefs about who they are and who God is. It's making them question their actual very identity as belonging to God. This is a big deal. And for them, the cultural implications of Peter going to the Gentiles were more significant than the reality that people had been saved. So people had been saved, but they were more concerned about the cultural taboo of what had happened. Hold the story for a second. I think sometimes we have a, a picture or an ideal in our mind about what a Christian looks like. 
I think sometimes we have an expectation of the kinds of people that God might work with and the kinds of people that God might save. And it's easy to look at a story from 2,000 years ago and go, yeah, those Jews, they were really judgmental. (laughs) They didn't think that, you know, these undesirable people belonged in the household of God. But I wonder if sometimes we hold that attitude ourselves. Because you see, the, the gospel breaks barriers. It sends people to places they wouldn't choose to go. It sends Peter to people he wouldn't have chosen to go to. And I wonder if there's people or places or communities that the Holy Spirit is prompting you towards that you don't want to know about. Adelaide has an uncomfortable number of homeless people. The Adelaide Hills have an uncomfortable number of drug addicts. The southern suburbs of Adelaide alone have many, many more brothels than we would like to know about. And that's just a few examples. I wonder if there are people that we would rather not deal with, rather not think about because it doesn't fit in with the way we see Christianity or what God would or wouldn't do. But the gospel breaks barriers. And in Acts 1, the last thing, one of the, one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power. So this is Acts 1.8, if you want to look at it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. They'd forgotten already what Jesus had told them that they were going to go beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond their own people to the earth, to everyone. And we could reframe that ourselves and say, well, we're called to go beyond the Adelaide Hills, beyond Adelaide, beyond South Australia, beyond Australia to the ends of the earth. But it started in Jerusalem. It started at home with the people right in front of them. The gospel mandate had been with them for 10 years, but they'd applied their own lens to it, their own understanding. They'd believed, well, we are the people of God, so this is for us. And so when Peter goes to the Gentiles, when he goes to Cornelius' household, they can't get their heads around it. They're so confused. They're so perplexed. It doesn't make any sense to them. the gospel breaks down barriers. The gospel takes what we expect and blows it out of the water. Jesus has a great desire for people to know him. And God in his wisdom has appointed the church to be the people that make Jesus known all through the earth. And so what we need to understand and what we need to maybe wrestle with for ourselves is that God is calling us beyond ourselves. And undoubtedly, I think, if you pray a brave prayer 
and ask God, well, where would you send me? He'll probably send you to people that you wouldn't choose and places you'd rather not go because that's where faith is activated. So the gospel breaks barriers. The gospel also exceeds expectations because Peter wasn't expecting to be sent to the Gentiles. But as he had aligned his life with Jesus and as he had followed Jesus, he wasn't a stranger to God doing unusual things. You remember Peter was the man who stepped out in faith and walked on water. Peter was there when Lazarus was raised from death to life. Peter was there when Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons. And Peter was there in the garden at the empty tomb. And Peter was there when he saw Jesus in his resurrection glory ascending to heaven. So Peter had seen Jesus do things that were beyond expectation. And yet he still didn't expect this. Which tells me that you can walk with Jesus for a long time and still be surprised by what he might ask you to do or where he might send you. He's got more for us, I think, than we expect. It's an interesting note, just a, it's just a quick side note, that the author of Acts, Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke, very early on, in Luke chapter 2, he tells this um, this story, this event that happens when uh, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple as a baby. And uh, there's this old man who's prophetic and he's got the Holy Spirit on him and in him. His name's Simeon. And he gives this prophecy over the infant Jesus. And what he says about Jesus is that he will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. The reason I tell you that is because Luke the whole way through writing the book of Luke, writing the book of Acts, he's telling us this is always part of the plan. This was always what God was doing here. Jesus was always going to be a message, a person for the whole world to know. It wasn't just about one people. So Peter starts to give his defense, and, and this is what he says. In Acts 11, verse 5 through to 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. So a few things I just want to pull out of that section. First, Peter went to pray. So that's important. <laughs> Because God spoke to him and called him while he was praying. So he'd already put himself in a place to hear from God. He'd postured himself before God. He prayed and it was a normal thing for him to do. And I wonder sometimes about the way we pray. I wonder sometimes about, I'll just talk about myself because you know, I'm not with you all, all, all the time. I wonder if your prayers sometimes sound like mine. 
where I do a lot of asking for things. I do maybe a bit of declaring for some things and claiming some promises. And that's fine, that's good. But I probably don't do much listening. And maybe not so much waiting. But Peter went to pray, and it doesn't tell us really what Peter prayed, it just tell, tells us what God did, which tells me that Peter probably left some space. So he went to pray, and, and he starts seeing this vision, and then he inquires about this vision, and I don't think Peter's being disrespectful when he says, surely not, Lord, I'm not going to eat that, like, that's unclean, I don't think that's, that's what's happening here. I think he's just really confused because again, in his Jewishness, what this vision is doing, what God is showing him, it just makes no sense. He doesn't have like a, a cultural framework to understand this event. He's like, no, 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 God. Like, this isn't, we don't do that. You told us we don't do that. Like, this is your law, God, that you're telling me to break. Like, what's that about? This isn't Peter putting expectation on like, you know, th this is actually God's law that he's then telling Peter, no, you can, you can kill and eat this stuff now. So he's confused, and he asks God, like, what's happening? And God replies. He says, don't call things unclean that I've made clean. And then in his grace, God confirms it by giving him the vision again and again. Three times that happened. He knew it would take Peter a bit of time to get his head around this, or even start to get his head around this. So God confirms it. And I think that's something, there's something in that when we feel like God's calling us somewhere or asking us to do something, when he's calling us to break some barriers for the gospel, he'll confirm it. He'll make sure that you know, and obviously there'll still be faith involved, but he'll confirm it. And the repetition here, this three times thing, I think that's God really saying, Peter, you need to get this. This is important. This is a game changer. Something big is happening here. And so Peter's expectations are blown, and he, and he does go. We know from Acts 10 that he, he does go, and he does speak to Cornelius. And at the end of that episode in Acts 10, in verse 34 to 35, he says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. He doesn't look at one person or one people and say they are my favorites. They're the ones who have got it right. but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him. This is an incredible statement from a Jewish person who has become a Christian. Their identity as the people of God is so ingrained, and for him to be able to get to this point of saying, oh, God doesn't show favoritism, he accepts everybody. This is an absolute landmark moment for the church. Because we're Gentiles. 
unless you're Jewish. But I assume that most of us, if not all of us in the room here today, are we're Gentiles. We were not the people of God. We were not the chosen covenant people. We were outside of that. We didn't belong in the family of God until Jesus came. Until Jesus took what was for some and made it for all. Until Jesus broke down the barrier that was between the Gentile, between the other and the presence of God. And that's why the Holy Spirit being received by these Gentiles is such a big deal because we know the Jewish people, they're the covenant people of God. They have the temple. They have the tabernacle. They have the presence in their midst. And at Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. They received the presence that had previously just been in the temple, but it was now in them. And so the Jews received the Spirit. And then for them to see Gentiles receive the Spirit, whoa, they're going, okay, God's doing something so much bigger here, so much bigger than us. And this is the response. The third thing, the gospel elicits a response. And Peter explains to his brothers and sisters, to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He said, this is what happened. I began to speak and the Holy Spirit came on them just as he had come on us at the beginning. And I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? I think sometimes there's people in our lives that we think are beyond saving. And we might not say that, but I think there's certain people sometimes that we might look at and think, well, I don't know how they could possibly come to know Jesus. I don't know how they could possibly change. I think this story tells us something really important. That Jesus will save who he wants to save. That the Holy Spirit will come on and into people that the Holy Spirit wants to come on and into. And who are we to think we could stand in the way? I have no doubt there are people in all of our lives that we know that need hope. That need the hope of the gospel, that need to know that there is a God who loves them, who died for them, and who is coming back to bring them into his eternal kingdom. And who are we to think that we could stand in God's way? I'm challenged by that, <laughs> wrestling through that this week, and I'm sure that you are as well. 
So there's two responses here. There's, there's first, there's the response of Cornelius and his household to hearing the gospel. So they're baptized by the, by the Holy Spirit. They speak in other languages, in other tongues, in the same way the disciples did at Pentecost. And then they're baptized in the name of Jesus. So they would get water baptized as well. So in the, this instance, when the gospel is preached, the belief is formed, the Holy Spirit enters the picture, and a whole family respond and are baptized. And it seems that an appropriate response to the gospel, according to this story, is to be baptized. And so if you have responded to the gospel, and you're here today, and you haven't been baptized, then please be baptized. Even if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you're like, oh, this is awkward, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Be baptized. And the second response here is of the Jewish Christians who had who'd questioned Peter. So in verse 18, it says, when they heard this, so when they heard the Holy Spirit had come and they heard that the same sign that speaking in other languages and other tongues had happened for the Gentiles, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So once they heard that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit, they had no further objections. They were silent. And sometimes God tru God's truth, when, it, when it's declared, when it hits us, the best response we can have is silence. To just sit for a minute. to be still, to be quiet, and know that he is God and that he has done something incredible. And then they praise. So they praise God. So despite their initial reservations, despite their initial confusion, the story ends here for now with the Jewish Christians praising God that the Gentiles have received the gospel. And as the book of Acts unfolds, we'll see that there are certain people, culturally Jewish Christians, that continue to struggle with this idea. So it's not the end of the story, but, but for now, in this initial moment, there's a lot of celebration. So the two gospel responses here are, one is salvation, and the second is celebration that other people have been saved. So I'm going to share a few things now, because Jesus said, to his disciples to, to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and I want to help us paint a picture of how that's actually happened. In 1910, about 5% of Africa was Christian. In 2010, something like 65% of Africa is Christian. That's just under a billion African Christians. Okay. Are we excited about that? Are we excited that the gospel has gone where it hadn't previously gone to people that needed the gospel? If 100 Christians represented all of global Christianity, 67 would live in Asia, Africa, Latin America or Oceania, while 33 would live in Europe and North America. Most would be urban. 
linguistically, 16 of the 100 representative Christians in the world would speak Spanish, 10 English, 8 Portuguese, 5 Russian, and 3 Mandarin Chinese, and then other, other languages. Most Christians, about 80 or 79 of the 100, would live in countries with moderate to high levels of corruption. 35 would live in countries with low development. A typical Christian today, so if all of the world's Christians were averaged into one person, it would be a 37-year-old Latin American woman living in the global south with lower than average levels of social safety and health care. Just think about that. The gospel starts in first century Palestine or Israel. And now the average Christian in the world is a 37-year-old Latin American woman. The gospel has gone out. The gospel has gone from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. There are very few people groups that haven't been exposed to the gospel. There are some, but there are very, very few. So what do we do with that? I think, first of all, the first thing we should do is that we should see that Jesus is really serious about his gospel being spread. And if you're a student of, of world history, you'll know there has been some, some catastrophically awful things that have happened and yet the gospel has moved through those things. The gospel has been taken to places, not necessarily by good means, but God has used those things for good. So firstly, Jesus is very serious about the gospel being shared. The second thing is that the gospel has broken barriers all over the world. It's broken into every other religious system, every other belief system, and people have received Jesus despite those things. Another thing is that the typical Christian is not like you or I. We're actually uh, in the more minority side of things as Christians. And that's, I think that's just helpful to remember. We don't have a monopoly on what it means to be a Christian and on the ways to do church. The fourth thing is that this should be cause for celebration. The gospel has gone out. People have received it. They've believed it. It's changed nations. There are more Christians now in China than nearly all of the West. In a country where traditionally Christianity has been very strongly persecuted and frowned upon. The gospel is going out. And so, what do we do with all this? Well, I think, first of all, it highlights the significance of what happens here in Acts 10 and 11. That Peter, in humble obedience to something he found very strange, a command from God that he didn't understand, he stepped out in faith and he shared Jesus with the people that he was sent to. And there's a response. And as we continue through the book of Acts, you'll see that there is more and more and more response from non-Jewish people who receive the gospel and come to faith. But also what it tells us is beyond what happens 
in the early church that the church for all time has been working towards and fulfilling the gospel mandate to share the good news all over the world. And that we are invited into that. We're invited into that story to share the gospel, to let it break down the barriers, first of all, the barriers that we have in ourselves, but also the barriers that we've put up between us and others, to expect that the gospel will exceed what we expect. And it's hard to expect to have your expectations exceeded. Sure, but that is what we expect, that God will do above and beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. And we can expect that the gospel will elicit a response, that people will respond to the gospel. And that's encouraging. So be encouraged, be challenged, read the story again, look into yourself, ask God what are the cultural or theological or identity, personality, biases that I've put up between myself and other people and Lord, break those things down. Maybe start approaching the Lord in prayer, asking God, where would you have me go? I've got a mortgage, so things are complicated, Lord, but help me see past that. Let us expect that Jesus will continue to use his church, you, to share the gospel with the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die to save the world so that we would know you and not just know you now, but know you for all eternity. Lord, thank you that you are coming back and that you will make things right. Lord, thank you that your gospel has spread and continues to spread. Lord, help us to be willing and ready and receptive to your spirit. Holy Spirit, guide us. Teach us, show us where you want us to go and to who you want us to go to. Lord, we pray that you would exceed our expectations. And Father, if there's anyone here today for who a message like this is just really not where they're at because of everything else that's going on in their life, Father, I pray that you would just meet them there as well and provide comfort and hope and healing. In Jesus' name. So as I close, I want to share this passage from Revelation. And this is John's looking into the throne room of heaven. And it says this. This is Revelation 7 verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me read that again. Let's just think about that for a moment. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus, clothed in white robes, being made pure, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the throne room of heaven, every nation will be represented. Every people, every tribe, every tongue, all will be there bowing before the Lamb because the gospel is for everyone and the gospel changes everything. And there is no person, there is no person in no place that Jesus doesn't love, that He didn't die for, that He doesn't desire that they would know Him. So Lord, let us be a people that capture that glimpse of heaven and work towards that happening. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.